Hey, everybody, and welcome again to this edition of Leading in Real Time, the podcast for leaders that want to be in the know now. Joining us from Green Bay, Wisconsin, he is Steve Van Remortal. Morning, Steve. Good morning. Uh, first day of training camp yesterday for the Green Bay Packers. Football season is here, baby. Nice. All right. Hey, you know, by the way, first rule that our podcast coaches have talked to us about is not giving morning or afternoon. And what does Brent do? He goes straight to good morning, Steve, when it's actually afternoon. So uh, listeners, listeners can ignore that altogether. From the sunny beaches of Sarasota, Florida, he is Ryan Lisk. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Whenever you're listening to this, it's a great day to excel. <laughs> How do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? From, I, precisely. You ignore it and move on. From Phoenix, Arizona, I'm Brent Patmos, and it is good to be with you today. Hey, look, we've got a uh, really special thing on the podcast today. We have the uh, privilege of having with us Colonel Jack Leach III. Jack uh, is the Chief Information Information Officer uh, at Army Medical Command in Washington, D.C. Jack, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. This is a pleasure to be able to um, spend some time with you today and talk about leadership and, and maybe dispel some of the rumors about what people think uh, leadership is in a military organization. And uh, we'll try to relate that to the uh, the business arena as well. But thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're glad you're here and uh, we're uh, excited to dive right in. So, uh, Ryan, I think you're going to kick us off with Jack uh, in our podcast. So have at it, man. Jack, so we have set this up. So we're going to do a bit of a round robin. I'm going to ask you a question. Brent and Steve will ask you questions and we'll just kind of see where this takes us. But in full disclosure to our loyal listeners, Jack and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, in fact, back to high school, which is about years ago. Um, your resume, my friend, is very, very impressive. That it is. And let me just let me start with. I think on LinkedIn, your first position was president of our fraternity, Delta Tau Delta, <laughs> all the way up to now CIO of the Army Medical Command, and multiple, multiple assignments in between. So with all this experience, I have to ask, what assignment did you enjoy the most and what assignment felt most like work to you? Yeah. Uh, again, appreciate um, the, uh, the opportunity to talk about some of this stuff. Uh, without doubt, um, the, the most rewarding experience that I've had in, in the past uh, uh, at least 25 years of being in the Army was when I had the opportunity to be in command of soldiers. And so that dates back uh, about uh, 12, 13 years ago. 2004, I had just come back um, from uh, being in Iraq for the first time. And I was a young major at the time and was given the opportunity to take command of an air ambulance company. So we, we perform medical evacuation um, for... Uh, in this case, in Iraq, picking up the Marine Corps that we were um, assigned to. And so I had 150 personnel, uh, a total of 19 aircraft assigned to the unit, and that we were responsible for the western part of Iraq, essentially everything west of Baghdad in the Sunni Triangle, um, out to where our headquarters was in, in al-Assad, Iraq. 
And so command uh, in, in any organization or being a CEO, I think is, uh, is a privilege and an honor, but in particular to do it in combat was, uh, was absolutely the most rewarding thing. And, and I tell you what, one thing that I remember that I told my entire unit before we jumped on the plane, and I tried to instill this in the team while we were there, is that you know we really are going to have one shot at this, and most soldiers really they'll sign up for four years or maybe a max of six. A lot of kids don't re-enlist, and I said we've got one chance to do this right, and really this will probably be the greatest contribution that you make to our country um, is going to be this one year in combat. So let's do it right. Let's do the right thing, and uh, and bring everybody you know home alive. And so we were able to do that. And so it was, uh, I, I just can't tell you how rewarding it was to bring everybody back and really save a lot of lives in the battlefield uh, during the 12 months that we were there. No, no pressure there <laughs> at all, by the way. How prepared did you feel for that when you got the position? I mean, you had to feel like, oh, I'm not, you know, how, how well did you know that what you were doing? Sure. Yeah, it, it's a it's a great question. I really um, as a, at, at that point I was a pilot in command. You know, as far as the aircraft goes, I was a maintenance test pilot. I was had the opportunity to go to that school, so I felt very comfortable in the aircraft. Um, I was a very junior major uh, at the time, and and so I felt I felt prepared. But there's always that you know that little thing in the back of your mind. Hey, this is a huge responsibility. And I'll never forget on January the 6th of 1990, uh, I'm sorry, 2004, we were sitting in the hangar packing, folding all the blades of our Black Hawk helicopters and getting ready to, to load those onto uh, to aircraft and, and get them flown over there. And I got a phone call from the Pentagon telling me that our peer or our sister uh, medevac unit that was, uh, that was there in Iraq that we were going to replace, they had just had an aircraft shot down with three patients and the crew of four on board um, just outside of uh, Fallujah. And so I had a little more than 30 days to get everything you know, completely packed up and get the guys in the aircraft. And it really hit me that um, this could be more challenging and, and was I really cut out, was I really prepared? And uh, you know, little hints of doubt, I think everybody kind of goes through that, but uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, you know, I listened to people, I sought guidance from other leaders and, um, and I, I felt really quite confident. And, and to be specific, what I think that we did effectively over there is we, uh, I tried to create an environment. If there was any, if there's anything I would guess I would take credit for was simply creating an environment where every, um, the most junior enlisted, you know, service member I had in my unit, uh, absolutely had a voice at the table if they felt uncomfortable on an aircraft or they picked up something from uh, something they saw or something they felt, they really knew that they could come and not only tell me, but talk about it in an open forum so that we could mitigate the risk uh, flying in that type of dangerous environment. So, um, you know, and I grew confidence here, but I tell you what, I was sure glad to get everybody on the aircraft. And when we landed back at, you know, Fort Hood, Texas, that was, probably the most rewarding feeling I've ever had in my life. And to get to the second part of your question when you started, um, I guess I, I've been very fortunate to have, um, and, and the question being, was has there been a job or has there been a time where, where uh, my role in the Army felt like it was actually work and it wasn't that satisfying? 
there's really been very, very few of those times I've got, I think, kind of hard about that. I've just been absolutely blessed with really strong leaders consistently throughout my career. I've probably had a total of, uh, you know, I'm coming up on 25 years, so probably about uh, 15 to 18 different bosses and probably just as many what we call senior rater or my boss's boss who kind of determines, you know, whether I'm doing the right things and whether I'll have the opportunity to command or get promoted to the next rank. Uh, there's only been a couple of times where I, I had a leader that um, that really had an influence, uh, a negative influence, and um, and where I felt like I had to kind of pick up the slack and really cover for my boss in some ways. And that's, um, you know, that's a little bit challenging when, you know, when you're trying to do the right thing and you've got um, you, you've someone who's supposed to be in charge and they're kind of slacking on the job. So uh, fortunately, those have been very few examples like that, but I think that's been one of the biggest challenges that I've had. Hey, thanks for being with us today to talk about leadership. And and uh, there's a perception, maybe it's my perception, but I think there's a broader perception of leadership in the military as kind of a, you know, tell people what to do, kind of a, as Ryan calls it, a do-to type of leadership. Um, is that is that perception accurate um, or is it is it wrong? I, I don't think it's accurate at all. I, I've definitely been around some leaders, uh, you know, like that occasionally over the course of the you know past twenty five years, but they're really few and far between. I, I think what you really find is most people are like uh, most people that you know in your family, your neighbors, your friends, people in your church. Um, there, that perception because of, I, I would say in large part because of Hollywood, um, it's it's a, maybe a little bit more interesting character, somebody that's in charge, they're barking orders and telling people what to do. But, it, you know, as you all well know, that's not a very effective leadership style. And in most cases, and there's times, you know, when I've had to, because of a risk or because of time, uh, say those two factors, I've had to be very directive. But um, I really find that being a servant leader and building trust amongst um, our, you know, the members in my organization and also other stakeholders and whatever organization that I'm in, that uh, tends to bear a whole lot more fruit than, than barking orders and yelling at people. Good. Jack, you uh, mentioned that uh, one of the greatest uh, opportunities you've had is the command of soldiers. Fair? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So, you know, many of us, uh, I work exclusively in privately held family owned business and, you know, families um, in many cases deal with a certain amount of dysfunction. And one of the things that we always talk with those families about in business is how do you minimize and uh, how do you consciously become aware of that dysfunction and minimize it and become really more functional uh, and maximize who each of you are within that environment. So I was particularly taken uh, by your words as you were preparing to go to Iraq and you were talking to this group of soldiers and you said to them, this is the greatest contribution that they will make. And when I thought about that, as I listened to you, here you have this group of people that are going to uh, represent our country in war, and uh, you are um, responsible for them, 
how do you minimize the dysfunction of this group of soldiers that are like family? Do they really act like family? Are they as cohesive as family? I'm just intrigued. How do you as a leader approach that uh, given the nature of your comments and how you view uh, this group of soldiers as family, et cetera? Sure. Yeah. Question. Um, I, I guess I'll take it up from the positive view initially, and then I'll talk, I'll tell you maybe a story or two about um, uh, when people didn't do the right thing and, and how do I had to address those things. You know, what we, what we really try to do was to create an environment where the soldiers really felt at home, um, you know, while we were away. And again, I'm kind of focusing on my time in Iraq because that being the most rewarding. Um, and so, you know, we, we put up a Christmas tree during Christmas. We, um, you know, they sent care packages to us. And in turn, we tried to uh, send things back to schools and, and offer responses and just create an environment um, in the, not only in our headquarters building, but also you know, what we call the barracks or, you know, where the soldiers would uh, sleep um, and, and rest when, we're not, when they weren't actually on a mission. And so just creating that, that environment that made it seem like home as much as we could, um, I think that went a really long way to make everybody feel as though they were cared for. And, and that, you know, it really comes down, in my view, that um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, especially as the commander, um, where I'm always being looked at when everyone is always has their, they have their eyes on, you know, what's the boss thinking and doing and how is he or she reacting to whatever happens and um, in a public setting and also when you're talking to somebody one-on-one. -on -one. So just, you know, leading by example and having those, um, those discussions and just making sure that people know that you care about them, that you trust them, um, and uh, that you're really, you know, you have their back. You know, we kind of we call it in the military like covering somebody six, the six o'clock position being a position where you have a blind spot. And so just create an environment like that and being consistent is really, I think, went a long way to make sure that everybody, when they got up in the morning, you know, I kind of assumed that people want to do the right thing. But when given, you know, the, the chance uh, to make a decision between A and B, maybe B being the easy wrong over A being the hard right, I think if you've created that culture and environment, people will choose to do the right thing. So um, kind of a quick story as far as I call it addressing the issues, because everybody has, you know, things that they need to work on. Everybody has shortcomings. And so um, we had three soldiers in the winter. Uh, I think this is in December of 2000, sort of in 2003, just within a couple months of us deploying. And they thought it would be a good idea to go smoke marijuana and come up hot on the urinalysis because they had heard other soldiers would not have to deploy um, because they would be going through legal action and in most cases being kicked out of the army. And so I had three soldiers that in fact came up hot on that urinalysis. And so I went and talked to the, um, the, the legal guys, went and talked to the, the JAG and they said, it's actually, if you want to, you could carry out essentially their sentence and um, you could put them on the aircraft and take them with you if you elect to do that or you can leave them here at Fort Hood and we'll process them and they'll, they'll effectively be processed out of the army through the rear detachment commander. And so, you know, I went home, slept on it. And I thought, you know, these may be three people that are going to be dysfunctional over the course 
of the next year. And really, they could create additional risk for me. And so I weighed that against what type of statement am I going to make if I direct them to get on the aircraft and, you know, maintain their responsibility to be part of this organization that we've trained uh, for you know years to do this mission. Uh, I really feel like that's the better decision is to make them kind of face the music. I'm going to address their issues. I'm going to monitor them. I'm going to try to rehabilitate them and I'm going to take them with me. And so when I announced that to the unit, because I did it in a public forum just so that everybody knew because there's a bunch of rumors swirling that the three of them would not be going. I, I literally had the group, um, you know, kind of break ranks and start clapping because of that decision. So I, I just I offer that up as kind of an example of where I addressed the issue, kind of made a kind of made a tough call on taking them with me. And to be fair, none of the three of them were necessarily stellar over there. I would say one of the three probably came back uh, reborn, if you will, and really is, is probably going off to do better things, you know, today. The other two um, languished a little bit, and uh, they were there. They were there, and they came home with us, but uh, never really performed very well. And you're going to get that with any group of people. But um, hopefully, that gives you kind of some insights on the um, the dynamics of some of the decisions we have to make in the army. I, I tell you, Jack, great great stories addressing the issues: easy wrong versus hard right. Cover your six versus CYA is what we come across a lot. Um, all kinds of great tips I'm jotting down, great stories. Now, our podcast is called Leading in Real Time, and it sounds like addressing the issues is a version of leading in real time, right? And what I wanted to ask you for my closing question would be, what one single leadership tip would you be willing to give to our loyal listeners? Sure. I, it's, uh, I, I wish I could come in here and, you know, and, and bend lights and say something that, that's going to be really <laughs> profound, but uh, it, it really is just, it, it all comes down to trust, you know, just establishing trust in any relationship. But when in the, in, and when you've got a, a co-pilot on the Blackhawk, when you have a crew chief that's working on the airframe, that um, if he or she doesn't do the right thing, could really jeopardize the entire crew, not to mention the patients you've got on board. Uh, in the environment that I work in now, um, you know, we're in charge of um, all the infrastructure, all the personnel, all the funding for all of the Army hospitals across the, across the globe. And so, you know, building that, um, building that trust and making sure that people know that you work for them uh, and that's what I, I mentioned. And fortunately, my new boss just mentioned it to a, a large group uh, in Orlando and letting people know that um, that you truly are working for them and you're a servant leader uh, and then following that up. Because, you know, just saying the words, people think, OK, he said that uh, I, I saying, hope I can believe that. But then consistently performing. And, um, and and just live in that value every single day, I think is, it's so simplistic, but I think it's, it's, you know, hard to do. And if you put the effort into it, I think it just, it bears a lot of fruit at the end of the day. Jack, earlier, uh, I asked you a question about, you know, this perception of military leadership being kind of hardcore and telling people what they do. And you, you, you talked about how it's, there's a lot of similarities to it. Uh, to running a business versus, uh, you know, being a leader in the military. What, what, what would you see as the primary difference uh, between, 
you know, the probably the greatest difference between the two? Yeah, another great question. I, you know, it, it's interesting that um, when I was at this this conference just here recently, we have a lot of vendors. We have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, companies that are there trying to, you know, buy for the Army, Navy, Air Force's uh, business in all of the cybersecurity infrastructure, all these challenges that we have out there today. And, uh, you know, the, there's, as I'm talking to people with a coat and a tie on, um, I'm sitting there with, with my, my shoulders and, you know, standing next to me might be a first lieutenant or a captain. Um, and so there's that immediate, you know, rank structure that, um, that that's visible as, as, you're, as you're standing there looking at it. When I'm talking to other business leaders, I don't always know, you know, where they are in the organization um, and exactly what their role is necessarily. But, uh, but I think that there's, so, so there's kind of an, a level of expectation based on the rank on your shoulders. And I would say that uh, as I'm, you know, considering when I'm looking at retiring here in a couple of years and entering the, the workforce, um, what am I going to be able to do? How can I bring value to the organization? Um, no matter what my rank is, if I start as a kind of a low man on the totem pole, what can I do to, to bring that value to what I'm working for, bring the value to the stakeholders and anything that I can, whether it's in sales or whether it's in you know, a service industry. Um, but I, I really don't see that big of a difference between the two, um, other than it's structured and anytime we start talking about where do you fit in the organization, um, guys in the army will quickly pull out an organizational chart and then, you know, we're really, here I am, I'm at the top of this heap or I'm in this department or division. And so I, I don't really see it as big of a difference as maybe some people would perceive it as. Jack, uh, when you think in terms of leadership and, uh, bureaucratic environments, uh, in work with business, we deplore bureaucracy. It slows things down. It doesn't allow us to keep the momentum and the pace. How do you deal practically with leadership in what arguably might be the largest bureaucracy in the world in the form of uh, government? I deal with that a lot more in Washington, D.C. than uh, that I even thought that I would. And there's a lot of military leaders that will tell you that they've tried to avoid, you know, working in the DC area just because of that reason. And I've seen, you know, firsthand uh, what I would describe as absolute bureaucrats that uh, I work with and I have to answer to in the Pentagon, uh, namely uh, civilians that are, that have a, have a purpose. They, they got direction from their boss, but I, I guess how I deal with it in a practical sense is just do everything I can to be prepared um, walk, you know, walk down the line and look at the impact that uh, cutting funds for a particular program. Of course, we're dealing with a whole lot of budget cuts in the government uh, right now as, uh, you know, here, especially in the last six months when a lot of things are being reviewed and scrutinized uh, because the government has grown considerably in the last eight years. And so, um, as I deal with them, I just ensure that I can essentially tell a story and describe the impact of what um, what a particular uh, group of people or a person is trying to do and how that's going to impact the soldier down you know kind of in the foxhole so when i can tell that story or tell a vignette and really have my ducks in a row collect data be able to analyze it and be able to really explain the impact 
I, you know, it's kind of like the, the truth will set you free. When I have that storyboard and, and I can communicate that effectively, I found that I've been able to uh, push back a little bit on, on what some of those bureaucrats are trying to accomplish. Fantastic. Uh, Ryan, uh, we are really grateful that uh, you brought Jack uh, to the podcast today. What a tremendous opportunity we've had to hear uh, when we talk about leading in real time and leaders that want to be in the know now. Uh, Jack, you've given us a great perspective and a great view of leadership from the practical seat of your role. Uh, Anything, Jack, that you'd like to add or conclude with as we prepare to wrap up? I I just really appreciate the opportunity. I've never uh, been on a podcast before. I listen to them often, so uh, I really do appreciate the time. I would just say, I guess in closing, is just uh, what I'm looking to do as I uh, as I step into this new role that um, that, that I'll begin next week is uh, the one challenge we have in the military and in the government in general, unlike I think the private sector, is we have to deal with whatever hand we're dealt. It's quite challenging to remove a, a GS employee uh, that's not performing from our from our ranks. Uh, even harder to move a soldier to a different unit just because you're having a challenge with them. And so you have to, you have to embrace the hand you're dealt. You have to embrace the or that you've been assigned to. And so um, although one day I look forward to being in an organization that we can you know, cut out the fat and get rid of the people that aren't performing, um, I think that the, one of the great things about the military is you really do learn how to work with people how to see things from their perspective and uh, do everything you can to take care of them um, while, you know, realizing and understanding how dysfunctional just some of them are. Uh, Fortunately, we have some of the best and the brightest, uh, you know, kids that are joining the army today. And it's just a pleasure. I I mean, a real honor to be able to, to some of those young men and women and uh, try to provide them direction and guidance accomplished, you know, kind of some of the bigger missions. But thank you very much for the opportunity, you know, to talk today. And hopefully I provided some insights of, uh, of what the military is like, particularly the Army and the Army Medical Department. And uh, I look forward to listening to your podcast in the future. Well, thanks very much, Jack. We appreciate uh, your joining us today. He is Colonel Jack Leach III. He is the Chief Information Officer of the Army Medical Command in Washington, D.C., and it's been our pleasure to have him on Leading in Real Time, the podcast where leaders want to be in the know now. If you like what you hear and you're interested in following us, you can do so. He is Steve Van Remortal. Steve, how do people find you? At Twitter, Stop the Vanilla. And Ryan, you? On Twitter, I am at Ryan Lisk, or look me up on LinkedIn. Ryan Lisk. <laughs> that was good. Thanks for Is that. that obvious, find yeah, yeah, thanks exactly. for that obvious point. And uh, you can find me at Brent Patmos. Uh, keep in mind that uh, if you uh, like what you hear, share Leading in Real Time as a podcast with a friend or a colleague that would benefit. We truly have enjoyed having uh, Colonel Jack Leach the third with us today. And until next time, we wish you well. Take care. <laughs>